I would like to welcome Professor Silvia Winsuki, the Clinical Chief of the Section of Endocrinology at the Yale University School of Medicine, Medical Director of the Yale Diabetes Center from New Haven, United States. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Thank you for asking me to speak. As we know that treating heart failure is always difficult, especially with half-past patients when uh, it's very difficult to find new treatments, treatment modalities which are really uh, effective. In the last few decades, uh, a result of struggle to, to find the way to treat these patients. But with the advent, the SGLT2 inhibitors, it seems to be something is changing. And you were talking about this topic at the recent EASD 2022 annual meeting. And mm -hmm. I would like to ask you to share your insight with our audience about this topic. So at first, I would like to ask you, uh, why is heart failure and type 2 diabetes are interconnected? And how strong is this connection? How much we have to look at uh, these patients in our clinical practice? Well, heart failure is the most uh, common complication of diabetes that relates to the heart. And most of us uh, grew up in our training thinking that it was atherosclerosis, and not that that's not important, but if you look just numerically in terms of the impact of heart failure versus coronary artery disease, it's much greater in terms of the numbers of patients, the numbers of patients that require hospitalization, um, and also healthcare costs. Um, this is both uh, HEF-PEF, as you pointed out, you know, with preserved ejection fraction, or at least over 40%, and also HEF-REF with reduced ejection fraction, although the proportions of HEF-PEF to HEF-REF may be uh, somewhat different in uh, patients with diabetes, specifically type 2 diabetes, with more HEF-PEF than HEF-REF. And I think that is a manifestation of a couple of uh, issues. One is that the risk factors for both diabetes and HEF-PEF are very similar. Uh, this relates to obesity, uh, aging, insulin resistance, hypertension, and chronic kidney disease. Uh, these are features that are shared by both uh, conditions. Um, uh, and also there may be a specific uh, diabetic uh, type of cardiomyopathy uh, which uh, may uh, predispose to either HEF-PEF or HEF-REF. So it's not just the classical, uh, you know, destruction of myocardium due to myocardial infarction lead, leading to uh, remodeling of the ventricle and ultimately uh, decreased ejection fraction, uh, but there may be something more metabolically uh, driven uh, that is uh, pushing the epidemic of uh, heart failure in patients with diabetes. We know that SGLT2 receptor agonists are uh, very beneficial uh, with regard to outcome uh, in diabetic patients uh, since the EMPAREX study. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like to ask you, uh, what were the main findings of the DELIVER study, what were presented two weeks ago, and how has been developed and built onto the, the uh, previous knowledge base? Why did we decided to start this study? What was the hypothesis behind it? And what were the main findings? Well, I became very nostalgic in Stockholm, Sweden, where the EASD was conducted um, just a week or two ago. Um, uh, the nostalgia stemmed from the fact that our group actually presented the EMPAREG outcome data almost to the day seven years ago in 2015. And that was a very surprising finding. You remember that nobody expected that diabetes medications could impact cardiovascular disease, uh, we had uh, many years of investigation 
And um, most of the studies had actually shown neutrality for tighter versus looser glycemic control. And even when specific drugs that were rumored to have cardiovascular benefits were tested versus background therapy, uh, they proved to be negative as well. So, um, you know, by 2015, I think most of us in diabetes clinical trials, at least from a cardiovascular perspective, uh, had become somewhat despondent that we would never find a medication that we could use to lower glucose that would also have um, uh, an off-target effect, if you will, on cardiovascular outcomes. But as you pointed out, the Emperor outcome was the first demonstrating that. Uh, it was an impact on cardiovascular mortality, as well as heart failure hospitalization. Uh, subsequent studies uh, using other SGLT2 inhibitors, such as uh, the CANVAS trial, uh, the DECLARE uh, trial, uh, and others have also demonstrated uh, this very consistent effect on heart failure hospitalizations. Um, the, the cardiovascular mortality effect is somewhat labile from this trial to trial, but clearly uh, there's a heart failure uh, benefit, importantly, both in patients with and without heart failure in these trials, which were not heart failure dedicated trials. They were CV outcome trials conducted in diabetes at high cardiovascular risk, but only 10 to 15% of uh, the patients in these large type two diabetes trials actually had heart failure at baseline. Um, so that is the important backdrop. Then the cardiology community became very interested in this drug class, uh, not for its glucose lowering properties, but for the possibility that they could improve heart failure outcomes even when type two diabetes did not exist. So they rapidly assembled a series of dedicated heart failure trials, initially in HEFREF, uh, where it's always most likely to show a benefit. And then the, uh, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit in HEFPEF, where many drugs have actually failed, as, as you know. So the HEFREF studies proved positive. So the uh, effects in the type two diabetes population were about 30 to 35%. In the heart failure population, the effects were something in the range of 25%. So now th these are using different outcomes in heart failure trials. It's um, heart failure hospitalization or in some trials, worsening heart failure that includes outpatient urgent visits plus cardiovascular mortality. Those were reduced 25, 26%. First with DAPA-HF using dapagliflozin and subsequently with Emperor reduced with uh, empagliflozin. Uh, there was a, uh, another study that was conducted in type 2 diabetes patients, uh, which was called Soloist. That's using a uh, compound that is called sotagliflozin, which is available in Europe, but not in the United States. And that is a combined SGLT1 and an SGLT2 inhibitor. And that showed a significant reduction also in worsening heart failure and cardiovascular mortality. But completely uh, in a type two diabetes population. So those are the three heart failure trials, if you will, that constitute our uh, knowledge base about SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure patients uh, prior to the dedicated HEF-PEF trials. Soloist, by the way, had both HEF-REF and HEF-PEF uh, mixed in them. They didn't um, necessarily define each patient um, but there, there was a, a, a certainly a mixture of uh, ejection fractions in that uh, trial. So now we fast forward to the most recent uh, two trials, the first being Emperor Preserved, and that, as the name would suggest, was a HEF-PEF trial using empagliflozin 
again, uh, demonstrating um, a, um, uh, I think the, the, the precise um, uh, effect size was in the 20% range, uh, maybe 21 or 22% for heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular mortality uh, in a HEFPEF population. And then as you pointed out, the most recent um, uh, trial that uh, has tested SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure is DELIVER, which is another HEFPEF trial, but this time using adapical flows, so analogous to the DAPA-HF uh, trial. I would point out that the nomenclature is evolving, so, uh, and I'm an endocrinologist, I'm not a cardiologist, but my cardiology colleagues have taught me a lot about the nomenclature of, of heart failure uh, designation. So now the, um, the, the precise designation is heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fraction. That, that would be between, uh, well, above 40% up to about 49%. And once you hit 50%, then it's classically preserved. So it's HEF-MRF plus HEF-PEF, and those two are distinctive from HEF-REF, which is 40% or lower. So um, both um, uh, Emperor Preserved and uh, Deliver did, uh, were positive trials. The point estimate for the uh, treatment effect in Deliver was 18%. So it's 18% relative risk reduction in uh, our primary outcome was worsening heart failure and cardiovascular uh, mortality. Uh, you showed us data with very exciting, very interesting uh, subgroups uh, in, in the uh, Deliver study. Well, the, 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 what we presented in Stockholm was the fact that the um, glycemia categories or glycemic categories, which we divided into normal glycemia, we define that as a hemoglobin A1C under the pre-diabetes threshold as defined by the American Diabetes Association of 5.7. So that was a baseline A1C under 5.7%. Um, the second category would be the type 2 diabetes patients, and those are easy to define, right? Those are patients who have diabetes in their history or taken a diabetes medication, um, or uh, we found a couple hundred patients that had high hemoglobin A1Cs above the uh, cut point that most uh, organizations define as diabetes, which is 6.5% uh, or higher. So those were the diabetes uh, patients. And in these trials, there's typically somewhere around 45% end up having diabetes, both in HEF-REF and HEF-PEF. It's a little bit larger in, um, in, in HEF-PEF, as, as we talked about before, but, but not dramatically so. Um, and then there's this uh, in-between group, which are uh, individuals that have uh, pre-diabetes. And we define that not by history, but by uh, the hemoglobin A1C between 5.7 and 6.4%. So that gave us the opportunity to study three glycemic subgroups. Um, now, these have uh, been looked at previously, or at least the diabetes versus non-diabetes populations, and interestingly, and this cuts through all the uh, heart failure trials, there was absolutely no uh, variation in the treatment benefit based on the presence or absence of diabetes at baseline. That points to the fact that the benefit of the SGLT2 inhibitor is not being driven by glucose reduction because there really is no glycemic change at all in patients who don't have diabetes. Um, this interestingly has also been replicated in 
chronic kidney disease trials, which we're not going to be addressing today, but are just as interesting as a heart failure trials, the SGLT2 inhibitors, as you know, slow the progression of CKD. And once again, there's no variation in the treatment effect based on diabetes status in the kidney studies. But getting back to the heart failure uh, studies, we asked um, this question again, but here we were a bit uh, more deliberate in our analysis in that we segmented into three as opposed to two glycemic groups. And I, I think it's an important point because so many people with uh, uh, HEF, HEF have either diabetes or prediabetes that we really wanted to examine the non-diabetes, non-prediabetes, meaning the normal glycemic group. I think it's, it was only 18% of our cohort actually were normal glycemic. So 82% were, were dysglycemic, if you will. So we were particularly interested in the, in the truly normal glycemic patients to see if there was any benefits from this glucose-lowering medication. And what we found was that there was no heterogeneity in the treatment benefit. In other words, those with prediabetes, diabetes, and normal glycemia benefited similarly. There's no statistical uh, variation uh, in those uh, benefits. Um, so that was one of our main uh, findings. You also investigated the uh, treatment effect. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, the treatment effect was was uh, almost identical between all these uh, subgroups. And um, we also found initially in our inquiry, we wanted to look at the individual glycemic categories to see how they behaved irrespective of treatment. And not surprisingly, with most of the heart failure outcomes, the diabetes patients did worse. The prediabetes patients did uh, somewhat better, and the best group were those with normal glycemia. So there does seem to be this graded increased risk for heart failure outcomes uh, in those patients that have uh, more and more uh, dysglycemia. And then we looked at the uh, treatment benefit from dapagliflozin in each of the subgroups. And as mentioned, it was um, very, very similar. And you also examined uh, the effect of metformin on the outcome. Yeah, so we, we extended the analysis uh, now focusing only on the type 2 diabetes by history subgroup. These were patients that the vast majority had been treated with uh, type 2 diabetes medications. So we asked a couple of questions. Does metformin as background therapy modulate the benefit of dapagliflozin? The answer was no, uh, that those patients with or without metformin uh, did uh, behave similarly in terms of the benefits incurred by dapagliflozin. Um, that's important because, as you know, there's lots of controversy these days about uh, whether metformin should be uh, still used as foundational therapy in diabetes. Most of us still prescribe metformin early on in the disease course, and then we add other medications to that. You know, there's some, particularly from the cardiology community, say, hey, you know, you have SGLT2s and another category called GLP-1 agonists that have clearly been demonstrated to reduce cardiovascular events, why not position them as, as first-line therapy before metformin? So we asked a very simple question, does baseline metformin therapy uh, modify the treatment benefits? And, and it did not. So the patients with or without metformin um, enjoy the same benefits from dapagliflozin. Similar question in insulin-treated patients. Insulin in some studies is a risk marker for worsening heart failure events. I'm not sure if that's cause and effect. It could just be identifying higher risk patients. And those individuals also behaved similarly when uh, given dapagliflozin. So there's no 
heterogeneity in that uh, treatment benefit. Uh, and we looked at uh, hemoglobin A1C, higher versus lower, no differences. And finally, in duration of diabetes. So no differences if the diabetes was present for more than or less than uh, 10 years. So across the board, uh, there appear to be no heterogeneity uh, across these multiple characteristics. We did find an interesting, it's a small subgroup, so it's hard to hang your hat on this, but we did find that those patients who took sulfonylureas uh, did much better on dapagliflozin than those patients who were not on sulfonylureas. But, you know, these are, these are not multivariate analyses. These are univariate analyses, and um, there's no uh, immediately obvious biological explanation why that would be. So I, I think that needs further study, perhaps. And what do you think, what's the clinical implication of the DELIVER study with regard to dapagliflozin use in, uh, in uh, HFPEF population? Well, I think clearly now with these four trials and soloist, um, so DAPA-HF and DELIVER with dapagliflozin, EMPRA preserved and reduced with empagliflozin, I think it's very clear that these drugs are uh, now widely considered or should be considered pillars of therapy for heart failure, along with RAS blockade or ARNI therapy, beta blockade, and uh, MRAs, at least for HEF-REF. With HEF-PEF, it's not as clear. Some of the recommendations from the professional organizations are not class one indications as they are with HEF-REF, but sometimes class two indications for some of these therapies because of somewhat disappointing results in clinical trials. But clearly, we now have um, consistent benefits with SGLT2s in both HEFREF and HEFPEF. We've done analyses looking at the um, left ventricular ejection fraction as a continuous variable. And here we see no uh, evidence of attenuation of the benefit at very low or very high ejection fraction. So across the span of glycemia, across the span of ventricular function, uh, these drugs are powerful ones to reduce cardiovascular, specifically heart failure events. And also, by the way, they improve uh, symptoms. So, you know, we've done multiple investigations using uh, uh, scorings, uh, sc scoring systems such as the KCCQ, the Kansas City Cardiomyopathy Questionnaire, to assess patients' symptoms and their quality of life. And there appears to be less worsening when you take an SGLT2 inhibitor and more improvement when you take an SGLT2 inhibitor. So it's, um, it's not common where you get a, a treatment that not only uh, prevents progression of disease, but actually helps symptoms. And I think um, it's, it's, uh, it's, there's no question at this point that every patient with heart failure, uh, unless there's a prevailing contraindication, should be on an SGLT2 inhibitor. In the end, what do you think, what can be your message to your colleagues, your, your diabetologist colleagues who have these patients uh, perhaps in, in their clinical practice? Yeah, so to speak to, to diabetologists and even primary care doctors, you know, uh, heart failure is so common in diabetes population that we need to be on the lookout for it. We've been focused on atherosclerosis for many years for appropriately, and we know how to screen for chronic kidney disease, although even that we, we sometimes... Uh, don't do that as um, as diligently as we should in terms of you know assessing for urine albumin, but for heart failure, you know I think it's really important to talk to the patient, see how they're feeling. Are they feeling tired? Do they get breathless? Do they have edema? Examine the patient, 
um, you know, listen to the lungs, look at the neck veins, look for edema, you'd be surprised how often uh, you can uncover subclinical or even clinical heart failure that's been, um, you know, attributed to aging or, you know, obesity and uh, things like that. Um, I, I think it's out there. I think these patients need to be found. And when they are found, I think that, you know, an SGLT2 inhibitor should be clearly part of the treatment program. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you.